Welcome to KYH2O, a podcast about all things water in Kentucky. I'm Carmen Agaritas, an Extension Associate Professor in the Biosystems and Agricultural Engineering Department at the University of Kentucky. And I'm Amanda Gumbert, an Extension Specialist for Water Quality with the University of Kentucky Cooperative Extension Service. Join us as we get our feet wet exploring Kentucky's water resources. Amanda, uh, you got to go out with a very interesting person and talk about this concept of water, landscapes, and art. Yeah, I did. So I recently had an interview with Lynn Winter. Um, Lynn is a um, Lexington resident, um, but had um, has lived in Louisville as well. And um, she's an artist and um, as a chef, she's previously had run restaurants. And so, um, you know, she looks at water from a really different aspect. You know, t- typically we cover topics on this podcast that are, I guess, more technical water quality. Um, and now we're really, with this interview and with this episode, we're gonna um, really tackle more cultural perspectives of water. I think water is one of the most important aspects for me to paint of anything. That and clouds, I'd say. You know, I'm at the reservoir almost every day, sometimes twice a day, just because of the reflective quality of it. Water, to me, as an artist, is almost spiritual, to tell you the truth. It's where I, it's where my spirit gets rejuvenated. So it was really interesting listening to Lynn talk about how she views water um, as spiritual and calming, rejuvenating. Um, a colleague of mine, uh, Lauren Cagle, and I recently did a survey of Kentucky residents uh, regarding water resources. What did they know? What were their views on those water resources? What were their values? And it was also interesting to see this concept of spirituality come up, especially for a lot of folks with rain. And so we, we think about water, you and I, probably a lot, very much in a technical sense, but there's such an emotional connection and a, um, a spiritual connection we also have with water. Yeah, I think so. And I think a lot of that begins early in our lives. And, um, you know, let's listen to Lynn talk about um, how she has, has nurtured this love of water from an early age kind of grew up as a kid going down to Lake Cumberland in this old boat and you know camping on the juts you know into the water with my family. I just have a lot of really great memories of bodies of water here in Kentucky and since I've moved back I've been lucky enough to be introduced to friends that really know a lot of the lakes and creeks here and I've been able to really get to enjoy them now and it's not just the beauty, but it's also being in them. You know, I go to the Red River Gorge quite a bit, and just the variety of water that we have here in Kentucky. Besides spirituality, so which, which Lynn did a great job talking about, um, when you were out in the field with her, she also uses water as a way to kind of nurture herself. Well, absolutely. And, you know, we all drink a lot of water every day, or we should, we're supposed to, right? Um, but. The kind of water we choose to drink or how we get water into our bodies, you know, that's kind of up to us to decide. And so, and you maybe get this question a lot too, Carmen. Um, People ask me a lot about, oh, you know, when they find out, you know, what I do, they think, oh, well, I must have this, you know, um, 
unbelievable knowledge or like some best kept secret about where the best water is or how I should drink water. And, um, you know, and so some people are surprised when I say I usually drink tap water. Um, and we've talked about bottled water in a previous episode. And, you know, I tend to drink tap water that I filter and then that's about it. But, you know, Lynn mentioned um, that she, you know, gets her drinking water from a spring in Eastern Kentucky. And, um, I have um, had the water from that spring as well, and and it is it is really good. It is um, I will say that I believe it's regularly tested because this whole community goes there, and um, you know there is a pipe that is coming out of the side of a hill, and it's you know the water's coming from a spring, and people just fill their jugs right there, and. Um, so, so that is Lynn's preferred source of drinking water. But she also does something else which I find very fascinating. And I would kind of describe her as an urban forager. And one of the things um, that, that she likes to, to forage is watercress. Watercress is a fantastic, it's kind of like a bitter green. It's similar to arugula in flavor. It's got sort of a bite to it, spicy and it grows naturally, most naturally in springs. So where the water quality is quite good, usually, I mean, it doesn't have to be good and you have to be careful about where the water comes from, but we get it from several places here in town, mostly from springs that come up out of the ground, but um, you know, it's good for the biome. You know, traditionally you eat it in the spring, but I find I like it really spicy. So I eat it really all spring and then all summer. It's just, one of my favorite greens, <laughs> but I like garlic and onions and, you know, watercress and arugula. So I will say, Carmen, that um, Lynn and I always um, laugh a little bit when she and I talk about um, her foraging watercress in urban streams and springs, because um, she'll look at me and, and she's like, I know you don't approve of this, but um, I'm, a, I'm very hesitant, um, and I also want to add a disclaimer for all listeners that um, I do not recommend eating, you know, anything straight or, or drinking, especially straight out of a creek or a water body, that, you know, anything that's not treated or washed, you know, very well, um, because there are the, the risks of, um, of getting some sort of bacteria in your body that could make you really sick. I think that's a very good recommendation. Um, I would not drink out of a, a stream, even if it was in a beautiful mountain setting, because there's also wildlife that use that that stream, not just for drinking. Um, and the same thing, any kind of food that you might forage in our urban landscapes, I would uh, exercise a lot of caution in making sure that food is clean um, so that you don't have any kind of bacterial ingestion or, or the like. That being said, um, Lynn and I did have a nice discussion about um, edible landscapes. And, you know, we talk about that also, and and I like to see, you know, fruit trees or um, other edibles um, included in landscaping um, because I think it's beneficial for us as humans. It's beneficial for wildlife. Um, you know, let's um, hear what Lynn has to say about other items that you might find um, in the landscape. I've found an amazing amount of great natural foods just in our local parks, downtown. This morning I had, just taking the dog for a walk in Lansdowne, I had persimmons that were fantastic and some wild grapes. 
You know, Amanda, another thing you and Lynn talked about was this concept of urban wildlife and maybe how we can encourage it with the ways that we maintain our landscapes. Right, and Lynn introduced me to a, a term that I had not heard before, and she calls it neat edges, wild insides. And so what she means by that is, um, you know, using the landscape to to grow some native plants and, and whether it be in a stream buffer or your backyard or your front yard or wherever you decide to to change the landscape and shifting from a highly manicured landscape to one that it's more naturalized and so um, but helping us as humans um, be okay with that by manicuring the edge and so having a neat edge but letting it kind of go wild on the inside. So let's listen to um, Lynn describe how she has used these ideas in her art. I've even started doing a series of paintings around that idea. So then, because we need to share the idea that, you know, mowing and grass is not the greatest way for us to have real wildlife downtown, but like the book called Bringing Nature Home, where every one of us can connect to a small spot of natural habitat that we can foster in our yards, whether we rent or whether we own. And, you know, a lot of streams have been restored primarily because they've stopped the riparian zone mowing. Lynn felt like there was a little more um, eco-awareness among our young people and that um, getting out in nature was a little easier um, in Kentucky, you know, maybe in the last 10 or 15 years, and uh, maybe a little more um, awareness. And, you know, she asked me what my thought was on that, and I think that's probably true. I'm not sure, though, if maybe I wasn't paying attention before or if it's always been there. But, you know, one thing, and, and Carmen, you can comment about this on, on your upbringing as well, is, you know, I grew up on a farm, and so we were outside a lot but we were working outside. It wasn't being outside to enjoy nature and to relax and rejuvenate. So did you have a similar experience? Um, I did. We did. A, I grew up on a working farm as well, and so we did a lot of being outside for that purpose. But I also uh, was kicked outside a lot, I should say, by my mom when on the weekends came or whatever, we were expected just to be gone until lunchtime or dinner time. So I spent most of my childhood when I wasn't working on the farm playing in creeks. So it was the same thing. I, the concept that you had to go somewhere to be outside was probably a foreign concept to me because the outside was all around me. I had creeks, I had woods. Um, and you know, growing up that way, now that I'm an adult, I realize how lucky I was. Oh yeah, I agree with that totally because I grew up in a similar situation. Everything, you know, the land was very accessible and being outside was, was just right there. Um, I think now maybe why we're seeing this, um, you know, more interest and more um, opportunity to be out on trails or to um, enjoy um, wilder landscapes is because, you know, we're more of an urbanized society, you know, nationwide and, and also in Kentucky. And so, you know, there is maybe more visibility of that because people are making a more concerted effort to leave the bounds of the, the urban areas and to get out into nature. And I think we're also really lucky just, um, and I know, you know, other, other cities have this as well, but in Lexington, 
just from the time that I have lived here, I've seen the Legacy Trail come into play. I've seen Raven Run really blossom. We've seen uh, places like Masterson Station, other park systems really take off uh, that provide people a chance in an urban area to get out and do things that are safely away from cars. Right, um, and that's a you know a, a nice segue into a, something that Lynn talked about, and that was a project she's been participating in called Paint by Nature. And so let's listen to her talk about her experience with one of these newly restored landscapes that you know a little bit about, Carmen. Yeah, the, yeah, the first uh, piece I did for the Paint by Nature, which is a combination of Arts Connect with the city, and the city chose the topics the, uh, the last two years. Um, and waterways was what it was last year. And it was really the first time that I had done a project like that. And it was really quite meaningful for me. So we went, the city gave us, I forget how many, 10 or 12 waterways. And they're all in the city. I swear I have never seen most of them. I had never seen them. They're, you know, they're often neighborhoods or they're, and they're beautiful, beautiful bodies of water here in the city. The one that I chose, the one that moved me, and really as I was investigating it, I didn't understand what moved me in the beginning is the one at UK, right off Nicholasville Road along Alumni. And something about that just drew me and when I did sketches for it, I did a sketch looking, I was back off Nicholasville, looking towards Nicholasville Road, but there's this beautiful white house that sits at the top of it. And I did quite a few sketches and then finally a painting from that. And I found out that that was actually the site of where two women, two women were killed because it was a concrete slough. And uh, they were washed away during a, a storm and they actually lived in the house. And um, then it was restored by UK, I believe. Right. And now it is this just flourishing natural habitat right in the middle of town that you can go down to and wildflowers abound, the water is beautiful. And it's, it's like this little paradise right off Nicholasville Road. So Lynn talked about an area of um, campus along Alumni Drive that is a restored stream area. And Carmen, you worked a lot on that project and there's some active restoration going on as we speak, right? There is. So the, the project uh, Lynn refers to on campus is the restoration of Vaughn's Branch, or uh, a lot of us on campus call it the FEMA project because that's where the money came from to pay for it. Um, but it's near the football stadium, and so if you go uh, by that project, basically um, through the growing season, so spring, summer, into late fall, early fall, you're going to see different plants blooming, and there's a nice running trail by that. And we use that site uh, a lot for teaching, for outreach. You know, it gets a lot of lot of um, use at the university. But we also have another restoration project that's ongoing and will be completed soon, and that's right across from the Arboretum near the softball stadium. And so it's a, when, when Lynn talks about using this as a, for artistic inspiration, hopefully this will also be another inspiration point for our local artists, but we're also using that for a lot of our outdoor learning because we want people to um, come and interact with nature and understand what streams are. Yeah, and I think that is a great opportunity to have these restored streams, 
close by the Arboretum, so you have a really a pretty big footprint of naturalized areas that are here right in the center of town. Um, and it also, um, you know, even though those are bigger restoration opportunities, individuals can get involved um, in Central Kentucky and in many um, communities um, in doing small things in their own yards or in their own landscapes. And, and one of the things that is in Central Kentucky that has been um, happening recently um, it are these pocket nurseries. And so Lynn was telling us about pocket nurseries and trees Lexington. And so let's um, listen to her describe what those things are and how individuals can get involved. Trees Lexington has been tasked with helping the urban tree canopy grow. And uh, because we're losing a lot of old trees. Yeah, it's a and new nonprofit. It's about a year and a half old. And we are helping people to not only uh, take care of old trees, but to educate people about the importance of the canopy and really to personalize their trees. People have named their trees <laughs> and it's really quite the fostering uh, situation. And it's also a situation where they're bare root so even kids can plant them. And we think that that kind of tie to children and, and not having to necessarily get uh, hire a crew to plant them, which you would with ball and burlap. This is about putting the trees in the hands of the people and also helping people to understand that the seedlings that fall in your garden, you can foster those trees. You can find places to, you know, uh, grow them and then put them later in your neighborhood. And so it's the idea of putting the trees back in the hands of the people. It's such a cute idea. We have these beautiful felt bags, which are actually grow bags for the uh, or arboreal for tree growing. And we had a pilot project this summer with 100 families, and we gave them six trees each to foster. So 600 trees went out, and this fall we'll be planting all those trees and marking where they're gonna go. And uh, so people that need trees can go to Trees Lexington website and um, sign up to get some of the trees and they're all local and they're all native and it's been such a great experiment and we really hope to grow the to grow it larger so i think that sometimes um, restoration or um, you know making a a positive impact on the environment can seem a little daunting um, to the individual and um, you know what lynn just described um, as um, families fostering little seedlings, you know, in their backyard or, you know, beside their house. I think it makes it um, very doable. Um, but also, you know, what she describes about working on and um, expanding and preserving our urban tree canopy, you know, really does, um, it, it really gets to the point of every little bit helps. Um, and, and so I think it's important for us to remember that every tree matters and um, every little action that we take matters. It does, and, and you make a great point, is, is when we look at these projects we're doing on campus, we've got heavy equipment out there, there's a lot of um, engineers, landscape architects, lots of different folks involved, and it can seem like the only people who can do this are specialized professionals, and it's not. I mean, every, every homeowner, um, could participate, every citizen can participate in doing something to help protect and preserve our environment. 
And I think urban forestry is a fantastic gateway into doing that. Our trees provide so many benefits from health to temperature to energy savings um, to water quality benefits from the amount of rainfall they intercept. Uh, it's just amazing. And, and I would totally encourage uh, people to get involved in an activity like this or planting um, pollinator gardens. There's lots of things just um, somebody without specialized training can do to make a great impact on our environment. I'm always amazed at what the tree canopy looks like in Kentucky. Um, anytime that I get to fly and fly into or out of Lexington or Louisville, um, you know, it's really amazing to me, you know, as we take off and, and you look down and you see so many trees in a very urbanized landscape. And so I think we've done a good job of that. Um, but I agree with you that I mean, it, it really, it, you know, having trees in the landscape just really do add a lot of value, ecosystem service-wise, but I think it also adds to our property values. People really appreciate having a nice tree um, in, their, in their side lawn or, or nearby their home. Amanda Lynn spent some time, and we spent some time talking about urban issues, with, especially with Trees Lexington, but our rural uh, landowners also play a big role in protecting our water quality. So Lynn mentioned visiting a, a farm in, in central Kentucky where some farmers have restored stream buffers. And, you know, and that's something that I try to promote anytime I can to, to farmers and land managers that you know, it's important to protect our stream banks because that is very valuable soil. And if we don't protect it with trees, shrubs, um, and other plants, and stop mowing right to the edge or stop allowing animals to graze it, then we run the risk of losing that soil. And you know, and then once we lose the soil, it becomes um, a problematic in our water quality because then we have sediment that's getting into our waterways, and that can degrade water quality as well. Um, so. Let's listen as, as Lynn talks about how um, you know she saw one of these buffers at work in a rural landscape, and what I think is really interesting is her thought of sometimes we work too hard to manage our landscapes. And you know, I was just out recently with a friend of mine in Winchester, and I guess some of the farmers got money to just not mow along the creeks. I, I think it was from the federal government, but I'm not positive. Might have been state, but. We looked out across this field that he said had just been completely flat, and there were trees, they must have been 30 feet tall, all along this creek, winding through these fields. It was gorgeous. You know, it was maybe, I don't know, 30 or 50 feet on either side of the creek bed. But just the fact that we can stop doing things that are work and let nature take its course and have a much more robust, natural uh, setting. It's a, isn't that astonishing? We don't even have to work at it, we have to stop working. Yeah, you know, just the fact that, you know, we can start to entertain the idea of mowing less, you know, maybe not stop mowing, but even along the roadsides, just not obsessive short grass. Yeah. And it can be such a huge impact for us in our waterways as well as, you know, local native bugs and birds. So again, Carmen, you know, we talk a lot about technical aspects of water, and it was really refreshing to have a conversation with somebody who looks at water 
from a very different perspective than probably what you and I do on a daily basis. Um, so let's take one last listen as Lynn describes the importance of water in our lives. You know, the first thing that draws my attention are the reflective, is the reflective nature of the lake. Uh, there's something, I think there's just something so unbelievably moving by the abstract nature of that. And I don't know if you can see it, you know, because it's kind of whitish over there reflecting the sky or bluish. But if you look into those trees and if you could just cut that swath of, you know, the actual land off and look at the beautiful abstract nature of those reflections, that's what I love. That's what I'm always drawn. You know, I'm really much more of an abstract painter than I am a realistic painter, although I do both. Um, but my heart is really in that abstract nature that water brings to the landscape and how it gives us pause it gives me pause about the dailiness of my life and it allows me to see natural beauty wherever I am around water. Actually, it can inspire science as well. You know, the idea that using art as a medium for inspiration, like painting the idea of neat edges, wild insides, um, painting the idea of bodies of water in town and how important they are, that can help people value things that possibly through science, it's a different perspective. So they're both necessary, aren't they? After listening to Lynn, I am actually really interested in seeing some of the work and seeing some of her um, perspectives on what water looks like in our landscape. Yeah, I, you know, and, and I am as well. Um, if any of our listeners are interested in seeing some of Lynn's work, she does have a studio at Arts Place um, in downtown Lexington. She said that her hours are uh, still catch me if you can. So, um, but there, um, are opportunities occasionally that Arts Place maybe have open studio and so definitely check out um, Arts Place and, and see when you can go by and, and take a look at Lynn's art and see how she allows um, science to inspire and nature I guess to inspire her in her art and then hopefully all of our listeners can remember that art certainly can inspire science. You've been listening to Carmen Agaritas and Amanda Gumbert. Learn more about water at uky.edu forward slash BAE forward slash KYH2O. Subscribe to hear all episodes of KYH2O.